0: Good afternoon, welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of TheNationalPulse.com. I say afternoon, I'm so used to doing that. I guess you could be listening to this at any time. So, good morning. Good evening. It's Thursday, March the 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021. And of course, I'm broadcasting to you from Capitol Hill, which is right now under siege. 50,000 QAnon shaman are lining the streets, didn't you know? So they say, that's why they've had to shut everything down. They've increased the security perimeter today because thousands upon thousands of domestic terrorists are clearly marauding around Washington DC right now. Oh wait, none of that's happening. Yet, the narrative goes on, the lie continues, the spin prevails, at least in the minds of the establishment media, and there's another topic where the narrative continues, the spin and the lies continue to prevail. That's why I'm so glad to bring to you this special episode of the National Pulse podcast on... A topic that i actually don't know all that much about but don't worry don't turn off yet i do have somebody who's going to be joining me in just a second to enlighten us now david reboy is like me a clear monster which is to say that he is a uh, a, a, a long-standing i'm a short-standing he's a long-standing fellow of the Claremont Institute, one of the, uh, one of the best think tanks uh, on the political right out there, one of the best think tanks out there, full stop, if you ask me. Let's bring uh, uh, Dave into the conversation. David, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: It's great to be here.
0: David, you, uh, you actually have a new book out. It's Qatar's Shadow War. Or, how do you, do you say Qatar? Do you say Qatar? I think Qatar is fine. Yeah, I say Qatar. I grew up saying Qatar. The Islamist Emirate and its information operations in the United States. Uh, I guess my uh, I guess my copy's in the mail, Dave? Sure. I'll be happy to send you a copy. <laughs> I think not a lot of people know this about uh, about Dave Reboy as well, but um, I actually have cut a stake up for Dave Reboy. Isn't that right?
1: Yes, this is true. When I was, um, <laughs> my arm was in a sling, and I could not cut my steak. I did
0: it for you. Uh, and you are now here to return very, the favor. It was very sweet. Doing something that yeah. I can't do, which is explain Jamal Khashoggi, or Khashoggi. Or I, I, you tell me. Firstly, Khashoggi. 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 Because I yeah. heard on CNN and MSNBC, people are going and, you know, affecting accents, and, you know... There's this whole almost industry around this one person right now. And I. I, especially given how much we've been hearing about it in the news the last couple of weeks. I thought, who better to bring on? Uh, I know you are probably the foremost expert on, on, on this matter. So I suppose, and I'm genuinely, not, I'm not putting on anything for the sake of, you know, theatrical effect in this in this podcast. I actually really don't know much about this subject matter. So I'm going to start with the basics and uh, assume that the, the audience is as ignorant as me. Sorry, audience. But... Uh, David, who was Jamal Khashoggi, and 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 why is he being lionized twenty four seven in the in the U.S. media?
1: Well, those are those are two separate questions, um, and uh, and let's let's start with the background about uh, Khashoggi himself. Mm. Um, Khashoggi, Khashoggi was a Saudi national who was. Um, <clears throat> You could say more than anything. I know the media likes to call him a journalist or or an or an ex-journalist, but he is in fact he was in fact, closer to a um, an information operator, you know, a, a spook, a spy. Um he was on the payroll of um, of uh, of certain segments of uh, of the you know Saudi um, intelligence establishment. Mm. which segments, in particular, was not clear. But he really got his start as the journalist, uh, quote unquote, or at least the byline guy um, for Bin Laden. When Bin Laden and Al Qaeda was in Afghanistan, he was the guy who was sent to um, to write articles and uh, and to promote sort of you know Bin Laden's jihad in um, in uh, Afghanistan in an effort to raise funds uh, for the jihad in Afghanistan. Um, he was so he was an admirer of. Uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood and, and of Al Qaeda, he was a fierce opponent of Israel and the United States. Um, and then and then sort of cut to a few years ago, as the um, as sort of the new regime in Saudi Arabia was beginning to take shape, and Mohammed bin Salman, the the uh, the young thirty uh, five year old crown prince, who was um, you know a, a great modernizer, really wanted to bring the Saudis. Um, away from Islamism, away from the Muslim Brotherhood, and, and frankly, closer to the West and closer to the United States. Um, the emergence of MBS on the scene created, um, you know, created some, some friction inside the old guard with which um, Khashoggi was, was allied. So Khashoggi went and became a sort of um, uh, information operator um, intelligence asset who whose byline in Western media um, would be used to slam MBS and the modernizers, and um, we we have since after his death found out that uh, that he kind of switched patrons from the Saudis to the Qataris, which are their kind of regional enemies, and, um, and the Qataris, and that relationship makes perfect sense because the Qataris. Are opposed to Saudi Arabia, and they're um, the the prominent funder and backer of the Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamist groups in the region. So it was kind of a marriage made in heaven, and uh, the Qatar Foundation was supplying Khashoggi with. Uh, they were writing his columns. You know, they ma- some someone managed to to get him a uh, a column in the uh, in the Washington Post, and you know he just wrote his byline on it. Um, got the exposure and the Qatar foundation, um, uh, a woman named, uh, Maggie Mitchell. Uh, I think Maggie Mitchell Saleem mm. or something, um, was, you know, living in Qatar, living in Doha in the capital and writing these columns that went under, under Khashoggi's name, um, uh, trashing the Saudis.
0: They, they, so, are you sitting at a
1: racetrack? Yeah. Pardon? Are you sitting at yeah, a race Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. What's, I don't know what's going on here. I, so, guess, uh, I guess people are moving to Miami Beach with such, um, uh, you know, with such intent. That, they're moving uh, very
0: they're quickly there,
1: apparently. Yeah. That.
0: The the U-Haul trucks so, uh, are driving at uh, 100 miles an hour, but, but down behind you. So let me understand this, because we talk about this a lot on this show and, and obviously on the National Pulse website as it pertains to Chinese Communist Party influence in Washington, D.C. That's our specialty. Um, you're telling me that, that much in the way that the CGTNs of the world and the, the all these uh, QCEF organizations are responsible for laundering information into the Washington Post. I mean, China Daily even you know bought famously... Uh, bought slots in the Washington Post to have their uh, Chinese Communist Party propaganda inserted into the newspapers. You're telling me that this is this is this happens with uh, other information assets, and 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 Khashoggi was one of those. Uh,
1: yes, that's correct. And really, it happens for the same reason mm. between Qatar and China. It happens for the same reason, and it's because, as you know, I mean, this is uh, for better or for worse. Um, America is the world's lone superpower. Mm. Which means this is Rome. Which means every other country has a an interest, especially powerful or rich countries, have an interest in um, in you know in, in having the United States move in its direction and do things that uh, that benefit uh, these these countries. So this is really the um, you know the playground or the battlefield. Uh, Washington is for uh, for information operations and you know everybody's trying to to grab a piece everybody's trying to influence u.s policy in their direction and the chinese as you know you've you've uh, you've done great work in in sort of chronicling their efforts in this respect um the qataris are you know in in essence doing a similar thing you know really almost the same thing mm. um if you if you sit down and you study it um but uh you know it's not rocket science there is a there's uh there's a script there's a thing that you do in order to influence policy and influence the the political um, conversation in in media in think tanks within the beltway you know with, within uh, the administrative state you know there are things that you do um, and um, and China engaged in it and Qatar is engaged in it. Dave, I think a lot of people uh, and our guest is
0: Dave Reboy. He's uh, he's a, a, a really a. Uh, an amazing national security um, thinker and think tanker and, and, and writer and uh the author of the latest book Qatar's shadow war uh which Dave by the way I only found out about after I booked you uh to come on this show mm. so uh for the audience out there this was a, this is a, this wasn't shameless book promotion on Dave's behalf in in fact quite the opposite it was uh it was shameless raheem knowing nothing about a subject and leaning heavily on Dave Reboy's uh, knowledge to 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 bring this information to you um and and I'm grateful for it Dave because you know they put up the signage you <laughs> What what is now Black Lives Matter Plaza uh, was was Khashoggi Way uh, for a little bit of time and and this in the immediate aftermath I think most people realize or most people know uh, what happened. It was I think the second of October back in 2018 that Khashoggi effectively turned up dead and there was weeks and weeks of, of news cycle about this and I think a lot of people were scratching their heads and thinking, well, okay, you know, the assassination of anyone pretty bad, especially you know diplomatic level and all these different. Things that were going on at the time, uh, but people couldn't quite understand why this one man in particular seemed to be so important to the political class, so important to the political establishment. And it only kind of makes sense when you understand just the the, the, the depth of influence that that Muslim Brotherhood advocates have in in. You know capitals around the world, and not just Washington D.C. massively so um, in London, massively so in Berlin, massively so in Brussels. So why this man, and why the attempt to lionize Jamal Khashoggi?
1: Sure, I mean, a, in a way, Khashoggi doesn't is Khashoggi the man is really meaningless um, as far as as far as what what the media is trying to do, and as far as what um, political agents of influence. Um, Are trying to do Um, he's like the MacGuffin. He's he's the guy. He's the excuse. He is the um, the bloody shirt that is waved um, that will advance the storyline against Saudi Arabia. And these guys are trying to destroy Saudi Arabia. So, of course, anything that they can grab onto um, as a as a media event, because in information war. Uh, the war is waged based on weaponized, um, weaponized information. And what do you, what do we mean by weaponized? is is um, a bit of information that is strategically placed to make the person um, or you know the political actor uh, come to a particular policy conclusion. And the policy conclusion that that a lot of these guys, uh, especially on the left, in Qatar. Um, and, uh, and, and the pro-Iran guys are are pushing is that Saudi Arabia is not a good ally. MBS is, um, MBS is, uh, is, is is terrible and reckless and evil and horrible, even though he is the most pro-America, pro-Western, um, uh, you know, uh, Islam, Islamic leader in, um, in memory. Mm. So uh, really, what they're trying to do is you, you've you've got an alliance of folks. I mean, number one is this is a the Khashoggi story is great for journalists because journalists like love nothing better than to talk about themselves. <laughs> so they can they can talk about um, you know they can talk about uh, the free press and about the nobility of journalism and uh, and 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 all this stuff. They that's just what they love to do. Um, on the other hand, you've got uh, Islamists who. You know who are using this as a um, as an attack, like Islamists and Qataris, who are using this as an attack on Saudi Arabia and, and and the U trying to destroy the U.S.-Saudi relationship with this as the the kind of inciting event. And then also you've got uh, mostly domestically here, kind of within um, Congress and within the Obama administration and in think tanks, is you have a lot of people who are very um, pro-Iran mm. and. They understand that the biggest opponents of the, the biggest foreign opponents to the Iran deal, which was a horrible, terrible deal that was um, that was foisted on us by um, by the Obama administration. Um, the biggest opponents of the deal are Israel and Saudi Arabia. And Israel has a big, you know, Israel has a, a big domestic constituency in the United States. A lot of people support it. I think I saw a poll, which is like 72 percent of Americans support Israel. Mm but saudi arabia is sort of the weak link when it comes to u.s support uh domestically um they they just don't have the the base of support that that you know israel has for example so saudi is the weak link in the um in the anti-iran coalition at least in the u.s domestically so for the pro-iran folks it's advantageous to take out saudi arabia so let's
0: broaden the conversation there a little bit because what you're talking about is a is a is a re re-envision, envisioning of how America conducts its its foreign policy, and specifically a, a very uh, pointed re envisioning under President Trump that that we're now seeing uh, pulled apart before our eyes, a, a, a much more uh, pointed focus at, at, at dealing more. Um, I don't know when you say diplomatically, I I tend to say. And overishly uh, with the, with Iran and then with the mullahs in Iran. Um, but let me ask you this, because I know there'll be a lot of audience members out there listening to this and thinking, hold on a minute, weren't the Saudis the guys who, uh, you know, effectively attacked the United States, 9-11, you know, everything that went on around there. But I think a lot of people tend to forget that that was now two decades ago. And, and in, the, you know, realm of geopolitics that can be i'm not saying it always is but that can be a very long period of time what has changed there? you mentioned the the, the new crown prince but what has changed fundamentally uh, about saudi arabia's approach to to the united
1: states sure um there uh yes i mean i think you correctly point out that the 20 years is a very long time uh when it when it comes to uh when it comes to a nation like this considering the history of the, of the country and considering the relationship um you know obviously um there is there's tremendous saudi culpability for 9 mm. um as as we all know mm. but that was a different regime that was a different regime it was it was um it was a different cast of characters and and frankly you know mbs was um was how old it was like you know 10 years old during right. um during nine eleven. so i mean he can't he can't catch the blame for that um i find it really funny now that that folks who defended saudi arabia for um you know for 15 years after nine eleven are now condemning the saudis just when they act just when they actually um institute the reforms that we had been demanding of them specifically the, the um the the crackdown on muslim brotherhood and and, and al-qaeda and and uh and Islamists in inside the kingdom and, um, and their sponsorship of, 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 you know, these, these guys around the, around the region, around the world. Um, Saudi Arabia used to be the hub for the brotherhood. Mm. Um, that hub migrated to Qatar. And now, I mean, all you have to do is look to, to, to the most identifiable Islamists in the United States. Let's say you can do the world, but just the the United States, the people whose um, whose agendas and relationships most closely um, kind of track with institutional Muslim Brotherhood, uh, uh, you know, groups and, and personalities. Mm. These people would be like, you know, CARE, Council on American Islamic uh, Relations, Nihawad, Awad. Um, it would be people like Ilhan Omar. Um, it would be people like Linda Sarsour. Mm. And you find that their number one enemy following Donald Trump was Mohammed bin Salman <laughs> and Saudi Arabia. Wow. So you can really tell, you can really tell what's happening. I mean, those, you know, we, we, you know, we in, in the West and in the United States, we may not follow these issues closely, but you know, you can bet your bottom dollar that the brotherhood knows who its friends and, and enemies are. And they could, they perceive their great enemy in the region as, as being uh, both the, uh, the Saudis and the Emiratis. Specifically MBS. So, I mean, in addition to that, one great example would be uh, the Muslim World League. Mm -hmm. Uh, Muslim World League was set up as a kind of um, youth pedagogical organization for the Muslim Brotherhood in Saudi Arabia. And as a matter of fact, the guy who ran that was Huma Abedin's father. And it was very, very closely tied to the Brotherhood. And what they did was they just remind they our audience had who Humma Abedin was. Huma Abedin uh, was Hillary Clinton's um, Gal Friday, uh, sidekick <laughs> and uh, aide throughout her time as First Lady, and then as um, as as uh, a senator, and then all, and then as um, Secretary of State. And I think you know, mm-hmm. and and, she's and like vice camp.
0: And vice chair of her uh, uh, presidential campaign,
1: right? And also the um, the wife of uh, former Congressman Anthony Weiner. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. We forget an August um, August history. And, um, yeah, exactly. So um, so uh, let's see. Where was I? Yeah. So so when MBS came back to uh, or when MBS sort of started to take power in, in Saudi Arabia, immediately he fired the Muslim world leagues, um, staff kind of from top to bottom because they were all brotherhood and he replaced them with, uh, he replaced the Muslim world league really with an organization carrying the same name that was devoted to interfaith peace, which is exactly the opposite of the brotherhood. Right. And, you know, and, and the new leader of the, um, the Muslim world league, um, you know, condemned u s. Islamists, condemned ilhan omar, um you know is is going to uh, is is going, you know to visit Auschwitz and making peace with with Christian and Jewish communities um all around the world. so that it was it was kind of a huge change. And as someone who worked in the kind of counter- islamist space for a long time, to see this change is was really, very, very dramatic. And um, and you know, I came to really, appreciate kind of professionally the the efforts that the saudis have done in this uh in this particular respect and uh in addition to that and you can kind of see it on twitter but but uh but it goes much deeper than that there really is a um a kind of new nationalist um anti-islamist fervor in the gulf specifically Mm -hmm. in saudi and also in in the emirates it's like if you're under 40 you're you're you know, you probably have a have a MAGA hat in the closet um that that you wear. Yeah. Um, in addition to your uh your traditional headdress. Um <laughs> is that true? Your, your, what's that? Is that true? It is true. I've known many. I know many. <laughs> That's and uh and really the dividing line is it's so interesting. It's 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 over forty and under forty. Mm-hmm. You know, over forty there's more of a kind of European uh um, outlook, mm. but under 40, it's very much the, sort of like the, the, the MBS generation is very much, um, uh, you know, nationalist in a way that is not dissimilar from, uh, you know, Hungary, Poland, Brazil, the Brexit movement, mm. um, the, the MAGA movement, um, etc.,
0: Again, our guest is Dave Reboy. He's uh, the author of Qatar's Shadow War. So, Dave, you know this this guy, and and uh, I've just I've seen so much in the last couple of days. That's what really uh, triggered me to, to to contacting you and uh, and and. You know, getting your expertise on this, but I've seen so much being pumped out the last couple of days. You know, the MSNBC website that I'm looking at right now—it's—it's fast facts on Jamal Khashoggi, and it's—you know, where he was born, you know, where he worked, how to pronounce his name, you know, and it goes through this whole list of things. And I still scratch my head, and I think to myself, "All right, okay." Now, now, Dave Reboy's explained it to me. I understand that Khashoggi is the, is the, is the, is the kind of means by which to attack um, Saudi Arabia. But what does, for instance, I'm just going to pull up this byline here. Now, what does Kimberly Dozier never heard of her before uh, over at uh, over at CNN? What, what interest does this Kimberly Dozier have in writing a one sided report about the life and death? Uh, of Jamal Khashoggi, or is this all, or is this all briefing that they're taking, that the, that the, uh, Western media is taking from foreign sources?
1: Well, I think there, I, that's a really good point that you make at the end because, um, I mean, I don't know Kimberly personally. Mm. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I, I know some of her work, um, and you know, she's at CNN. So, so that kind of speaks volumes, but, um, I've said for a long time that the Washington Post in particular has acted as the kind of uh, biggest unregistered lobbying shop, uh, unregistered uh, anti-Saudi pro-Qatar lobbying shop in, uh, in Washington. Um, it's – I don't know what, what particular business financial relationships there are between Bezos and the Qataris. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's something we'll probably never find out. Um, but for sure, the post has been the tip of the spear on this particular issue, um, and uh, and by now you've already got, you know, you've already got a chorus of Democrats in the Senate who are pro Qatar, anti Saudi, who have been pushing this. Um, you've got, um, I mean, it just falls in line with the narrative very well. Mm. Um, the, the the kind of the Khashoggi thing. So mm. so that's why, and and you see. You know why is it that um, that a particular CNN piece is written the way it's written? I mean, it's a really good question, and um, and in this case, I think it does have to do with with the direction that the the kind of entire left corporate media takes um, from the Washington Post, who's really kind of the standard bearer of of the Khashoggi issue.
0: So, what's the end goal here? I mean. It- People will be listening to this and, and and wondering. Okay, so I know who Khashoggi was. Kind of irrelevant as a human being in and of himself, but but highly emblematic in terms of a change that's taking place, a geopolitical change that's taking place. Yeah, I think you explained it very well. In that the fact that it's you know holding holding the the current Saudi regime to account for. Um, what happened twenty years ago would be like holding uh, Donald Trump responsible for the invasion of Iraq, right? And and so Correct. you've got this situation unfolding now. But what are what are the what are the end goals for the two different sides here? Why is there this um, you know this? proxy war taking place in washington dc and like you say the democrats are increasingly emboldened to to take the fight to saudi arabia what are they fighting
1: for so this is i mean there's a a simple answer and a more complicated answer i think that the simple answer works best because it's um because it's simple it is that that if you are on the left or if you have, if you're a Democrat, um, you believe that, um, you believe that America's enemies should be its friends Hmm. and its friends should be its enemies. And this is true, not only in the Middle East, but, but really everywhere. Um, and I think this is, uh, this is because, um, you know, uh, the, the left doesn't really have a foreign policy as such. They have a domestic policy that they Sort of project onto foreign states. So um, I, I wrote a piece about this uh, at the at the federal. It's called "Why is Why the Media is at War with Saudi Arabia," and it kind of answers this question. Um, the media and the left sees designated heroes and designated villains, and you know this is not just now or it's not a new development. This is something that's that's you know been been the case um, really since the beginning of, uh, of the organized, um, political left in the beginning of the 20th century mm. is they have their heroes and they have their villains and, uh, you know, the rationales can shift and change, um, uh, necessarily, um, or, you know, or, or when, uh, you know, whenever they have to, but, but pretty much that's, that's, uh, that's how it is. So, so right now you've got, uh, people on the left who, uh, you know who despise the Saudis, as I said, despise the Israelis um, for the same reason, um, which is that um, which is they just don't think we should be allied with them in the first place. We should be allied with Iran instead. We should be allied with Turkey. We should be allied with um, you know with with uh, with China, and and on and on, uh, or you know with with Cuba. Um, and this so, is and this um, is
0: because Islamism, Islamism is far more a a you know a, a amenable. Or, or fits more hand in glove with with you know hardline Marxism uh, than, than than any other uh ideology that's on the table for them in the region uh, I think I mean you, you, you tell me if I'm wrong well
1: yeah I mean there's 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 certainly that but I think the, the easiest explanation is that that um, they t- you know the left as well sees the United States as the great Satan mmm um, and they see, you know, the, the, the you know, kind of great capitalist power, you know, for, for whatever reason they, they, they pick today, um, they see the U.S. as, you know, the great oppressor power and um, the, you know, the, the evil empire, mm-hmm. so to speak. And um, anyone, any country that allies with it is necessarily tarnished by that. Any country that stands up sort of, um, you know, in, in resistance to it will be embraced. You know, just go back through the Cold War, you see you see um how they embraced the Warsaw Pact in the Soviet Union. Mm. Um they embraced certain non aligned countries when they um crossed the United States. Um so it's just it's sort of carried over that it's 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 a um it's an instinct that is carried over from uh from kind of the, the history of the left.
0: Dave, just they finally hate, They hate
1: get- these countries because they like us.
0: Quite. Just, just, just finally, um, and and tell the audience a little bit about your book about Qatar's shadow war. It's I think it's available on on, on Amazon, and, and and I think it's available through your own website as well for the people that don't like Amazon. So give us those details as well. Um, but but just before you do that, let me let me ask you this: There's clearly all of these rampant information operations that are taking place here in Washington D.C. right now, um, what, what, and and these include you know, funneling stories into the media and lobbying politicians. And, you know, we've we've got the whole wealth and we've run the whole gamut of these stories as they appear uh, pertaining to the Chinese Communist Party over at the National Pulse. But tell us a little bit more, if you can, about the the hacking side of things, the digital warfare side of things that's happening here, and, and what actions are taking place to to kind of either stop those or hold those, you know, foreign actors to account for that.
1: Right. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the the hacking story, um, or you know, one of the many hacking stories that uh, that, that have gone on. Um, a lot of these nations now, specifically Qatar, but also China and um, and uh, and and Russia as well, and 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 other countries, um, they have developed. They have built an infrastructure in the United States, as you know, as we we kind of discuss all the time, which is a seamless marriage between um, lobbyists and, um, and journalists, um, and, uh, and, and think tanks and, you know, members of Congress and policymakers, et cetera. And there's another, uh, there's another ingredient that they kind of more recently brought into play, which is, uh, which is hackers and, and, uh, and kind of cyber criminals. So, uh, you've got instances of cyber criminals and hackers um. Let's say hacking someone's uh, email or website or what, or you know, stealing their confidential information, mm. and um, going through it and spreading it out to journalists through you know PR agencies and things like that, mm. and um, and this is uh, this is a kind of a new kind of warfare also because you don't know what's in there. I mean, they could they could they could you know they could. Uh, Drop, uh, you know, uh, hoax material in there or deep fakes or, or what have you. And once they have that network of, dis- of information dissemination, they can really do what they want, uh, what they want with it. Um, thankfully we have, um, actually in the last Congress, they had a, 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 um, a bill called the hacked act, which would, um, which would allow us citizens and us institutions to sue in a court of law, um, Foreign-sponsored hackers. Um, what it would do is it would change the so- Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act to sort of carve this out to to make that uh, make that possible, uh, because because thus far, you know you can you can be a hacker and uh, working for you know the the say the Chinese mm. uh, government directly and the chinese government directly or you the hacker cannot be sued because you just say oh i'm i'm claiming diplomatic immunity because you know we made the hacker um, you know we, because we we had we had uh, a un employee um supervise the hacking so he's got diplomatic immunity you know sorry you know you're um you know you you try to get uh, restitution you're you kind of screwed and um and the way we used to handle this is we used to say hey um, you know, state department, you know, you guys handle it in a negotiation, but that is nonsense and silly because at the end of the day, you know, um, hacking while it's very, uh, consequential to the person or the institution who's being hacked. Um, it's, it's kind of small fry when it comes to, you know, U S China relations. Right. Um, and, um. And and we can't expect uh, professional diplomats to uh, to to start taking up all these you know real criminal issues. So, and what's um, the so status
0: of the Hacked Act now?
1: So the the status is um, it uh, it was not included in um, in last year's uh, NDAA mm. um, towards the end of the year, and uh, and they're going to sort of make another go of it now. It's a, got you know tremendous amount of bipartisan support, but we've got to go through the. Um, Go through the process in the new Congress, so um, so uh, I hope hopefully that will will uh, will get through sometime uh, before the spring.
0: Well, David Reboy, I'm incredibly grateful for your time. And I'm sure I speak for the audience when I say thank you as well for explaining some of those things to us. Uh, also, uh, we've got to get you back on as well. And, of course, whenever you're in, if ever you're in uh, this, uh, this foreign capital that is Washington, D.C., uh, I hope you'll come by the, uh, the National Pulse Office. Just tell us a little bit more about the book and, and where people can follow you on social media.
1: Sure. The book is called Qatar's Shadow War, and I've got them for sale at my website, which is DaveRaboy.com, dot com. You can find me at Twitter at the same place. Uh, but if you go to the website, you'll see everything there.
0: Perfect. Dave, I'm, I'm, don't worry about sending me one. I'm, I'm going to buy one, all right? Uh, but I want a signed copy. Oh, that's sweet of you. But I want it signed. I'll, I'll get
1: you a signed copy. Okay,
0: fine. But not by you. <laughs> okay i'm kidding you dave. can sign it send it to me <laughs> dave thank you so much for your time today okay cheers well i learned a lot i learned a lot there dave reboy uh great guy just uh just fantastic character really uh as you can tell a far more studious than i am Me, I'm just a loud mouth. That's what I do best uh, for a living. I just scream and shout about the injustices and iniquities that I see in the world. Uh, people like Dave Reboy are actually doing the hard work. Make sure you go and support him. Dave Reboy, R-E-A-B-O-I, Reboy.com com uh qatar shadow war great book quick read uh, we'll clue you up on a lot of things that are going on um, outside of the confines of what we specialize in which is of course chinese communist party influence and before i let you go from the podcast today i had to bring you one of these great stories that natalie winters dug up uh, it is the politifact politifact founder bill adair Well, Natalie Winters did some digging and found out that the founder of PolitiFact, which, remember, is used by Facebook and YouTube and CNN and all of these different organizations, institutions, corporates, media outfits, as a fact-checking resource. Well, the founder of PolitiFact was actually a, quote, journalist in residence at a Chinese Communist Party-funded, backed, supported, affiliated, however you want to name it, at one of these groups. You often hear of us talking about uh, QCEF, the China United States Education uh, Foundation, but here you've got another one called the U.S.-China Education Trust. Put that in your lexicon. USET. We're going to call it USET. Now, USET hosts various, you know, journalism programs, journalism programs, and if you followed our reporting over the last couple of years, you'll know that, or the last year rather, uh, you'll, year and two months, you'll know that these journalism programs are actually contributed to, in, in large part, by a lot of Western media outlets as well, but they're actively called, they name these things, Marxist journalism programs. Remember, all of these guys are always telling us, oh, we're just just independent journalists. We're just, you know, clean-minded, clean-bottomed journalists. No, they are filthy-minded and filthy-bottomed journalists. If you can even call them journalists at all. Now, I'm not somebody who believes that journalism can be free of human bias. But if you claim that you are, It's like uh, Tony Soprano said, if you can quote the rules, you can effing obey them, right? So they can quote the rules about independence, but they can't seem to obey them. And this is just another one of the examples here. How can you work with a Chinese Communist Party united front group and then found an organization called PolitiFact which takes aim mostly at the right. We know what PolitiFact is. It's a partisan institution, organization, web blog. I think it was bought by the Pointer Institute at some point. Uh, But this is the group that we're relying on. It was founded by somebody who was a journalist in residence at USET. Now, that was 2012, where Bill Adair served as the journalist in residence and he's not the only one either who's been involved with this group in fact perhaps more even more damning than the founder of politifact being a part of this organization is the fact that kurt campbell kurt campbell kurt campbell you're not i'm not this isn't skipping the record isn't skipping here i want you to internalize these names because you see this is what the left always does When the right is in power, the left will make sure you know the names of every single person that they think is malicious or malign influence or whatever, right? Stephen Miller, for instance. I mean, what is it? Why would anybody know the name? Because they want you to know the name. Kurt Campbell, the president of the United States' right hand man on china biden's right hand man on china that's not our words by the way that's the words of foreign policy magazine the establishment foreign affairs outfit here in washington dc kurt campbell actually served on the advisory council of uset we couldn't be more pleased to welcome kurt on board said uset president julia chang Block. In a press release, the wealth of experience and insight he will bring are going to be tremendous assets as we continuously improve our programs in China. Campbell also spoke on a panel at the group to celebrate its 20-year anniversary, which also featured remarks from none other than Elaine Chao. Yes, the wife of Mitch McConnell. The same wife of Mitch McConnell whose father has made a very, very vast sum of money working with Chinese Communist Party companies. And that's all we have time for today. Special thanks to Dave Reboy for joining us here of course, check out the nationalpulse.com, please. We've got so many stories that we're coming out with over the next couple of days and weeks. We're working incredibly hard to bring you this show, to bring you the news, to bring you breaking news, to bring you election fraud information, to bring you details, buried leads that you don't hear anyone else, anywhere else, to monitor what Jen Psaki is saying, what's going on with Biden, what's going on with the forces up here on Capitol Hill, where are the narratives falling apart, we're working incredibly hard to market the site and market ourselves and and facilitate the live chat, the Discord private chat we have, to engage with you, how many of you notice how much I'm in the live chats And in the comment sections, and in the Twitter replies, and in the Gab replies, and in the Parlour replies, I'm doing as much as humanly possible, so will you help us? www.thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. And if you really, really, really cannot do that, if you really cannot do that, then at least set a goal every day to come to the site repeatedly to share the stories to email them around to send them to other news outlets say hey why aren't you covering this to send them to your legislators the future is people powered and you are the people i'm rahim kassam with the national pulse see you again tomorrow